Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Who Wants to Be a Know-It-All, the game where we see just what kind of trivia geek you are. Ready, contestants? Yeah! All right, let's play. Which contains more caffeine, a standard cup of coffee from Tim Hortons or an espresso? John. Mmm, an espresso. Wrong! A cup of drip-brewed coffee contains 115 milligrams of caffeine, while an espresso contains just 80 milligrams. Huh. I did not know that. Next question. What percentage of the world's population has seen at least one James Bond movie? Alice? One-tenth? Wrong! At least one-half of everyone on the planet has seen at least one James Bond movie. No wonder they keep making them, huh? Here's our final question. You're a thick bunch, so I don't expect you'll get it, but here we go anyway. Name this spacey female songwriter who had an experimental space satellite named after her. Oh, come on, not even a guess. Spacey singer, female, really out there, named after a tree? You really aren't a very bright lot, are you? Stop tape! <clears throat> okay, before we go any further, you people need some remedial study. Listen to this and see if you can learn something. I'll be in my dressing room, counting my money. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Tori Amos. And yeah, she does have a space satellite named after her. Tori, which is what it's called, is a 12-kilogram experimental satellite designed to explore the complicated issues of orbital mechanics. Apparently, Tori was a source of great inspiration to the people who designed the satellite, so they decided to name it in her honor. This is an example of the arcane stuff that you come across when you do a job like this. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross. And did you know that the first Super Bowl was considered to be so unimportant that the NFL didn't bother keeping any film of it. This is why you never, ever, ever see any highlights from Super Bowl I, because none exist. Did you know that the name Mercedes in Mercedes-Benz was a real person? Her name was Mercedes Jelinek, a girl who lived in Austria about 100 years ago. And what about the first modern credit card? What was the first credit card? It was Diners Club, which was introduced in 1951. So, okay, you get the idea here. The rest of this hour is going to be just like this, except that we're going to deal exclusively with music. Now, try this. Why do people refer to any live music event as a gig? I mean, what the hell's a gig? Well, some dictionaries say that the word is derived from the word engagement. But linguists, people who study language for a living, say that the word originated in the late 19th and early 20th century when musicians used to travel from town to town by horse and cart. Back then, this cart was called a gig. And when the band reached the next town, they would use the gig as their stage. Therefore, going to a gig or playing a gig 
meant going out into the town square to either play or see a bunch of traveling musicians play from the back of their horse-drawn cart. There's Oasis playing a gig, allegedly in Glasgow, Scotland. At least that's what it says on the CD. But that's not the truth. Here's Noel Gallagher with the complete confession. It's not from a gig at all. It's actually from, uh, we got invited to play a Sony convention just before we signed to Creation. Because I think at the time Sony were um, uh, bankrolling Creation and I think they wanted to have a look at us. So we went up there and we were, that, uh, that was actually recorded in the soundcheck for the Sony convention in Glen Eagles Hotel in, uh, would have been 1993. And uh, we were all very, very, very drunk. But we didn't want to put that it was recorded in a Sony convention because that wouldn't look cool. So we we decided we would lie and put it was done in Glasgow, which is far cooler. But we did own up to it on the Master Plan album. We did say where it was from. And where did, where did the crowd noises come from? Well, we nicked that off uh, an Eric Clapton or the Faces bootleg from the Roundhouse in about 1973. So if you were at that gig, I, I assume I would be sued immediately. And still speaking of Oasis, here's something that you probably did not know about the Gallagher brothers. Well, Liam anyway. According to a British tabloid, Liam has a hereditary condition known as polydactyl. This newspaper says that they have photos of Liam's feet. And if you count carefully, they say, you will find that Liam has six toes on each foot. And because it's hereditary, it's very possible that Noel is the same way. And the same goes for Lennon. Liam's son. So if you ever see Liam Gallagher wearing sandals or maybe walking down a beach somewhere, have a close look at his feet. Count him up and get back to me on this. And while we're on the subject of body parts, we might as well discuss Donna's domain. You know how many websites allow you to write your own review of a book or a CD or a movie? Well, welcome to Donna's domain. Donna has a website that acts as something of a consumer's guide. This site rates the penis size and sexual ability of dozens of rock stars. For example, Art Alexicus of Everclear gets rave reviews in a couple of categories. Other critiques are directed at Tony Cannell of No Doubts, Sully from Godsmack, and Dino from Fear Factory. Mark Hoppus of Blink-182 is a hit with the ladies for uh, obvious reasons. Marilyn Manson, however, is described as being lame. Mark McGrath of Sugar Ray is called a real slut. And Goldfinger guitarist Charlie Paulson apparently lacks rhythm. Anyone from Orgy here? I mean, you would think Orgy would be on a list like this. Well, yes! Amir, the guitarist, is uh, average, although he has some specific kinks that I really can't get into here. He's also a good kisser, but he has the personality of a corpse. Unquote. And finally, what about Trent Reznor? Eight out of ten. Something about uh, all his animal instincts. By the way, if you would like to look through Donna's domain, please do so on your own time. Please don't do it at work, and please don't do it with mom and dad in the room. Uh, The address is metal-sludge.com, and just scroll down until you find Donna's domain. Let's talk about punk rock for a moment. Most music historians, including me, will happily give you a long, rambling account of how punk's deepest roots can be found in the late 50s and early 1960s. Then, in the late 60s and early 70s, people like Iggy Pop helped set the stage for this big explosion in the middle 70s. 
The word itself, punk, came from a variety of sources, including a New York fanzine dedicated to this new music. But not according to a series of government conspiracy theorists. They say that punk was a government code name for a secret American nerve gas agent that was being developed in the late 1960s. This was a weapon, and along with killing you, this nerve gas caused all your hair to fall out, except for a strip right down the middle. What's more, that strip of hair turned funny colors. Obviously, the government tried to keep this all a secret, so punk victims, victims of these clandestine experiments, were shipped off to England where they couldn't cause any trouble. Wandering the streets of London, these people vomited quite a bit and looked awfully drunk. However, some people, attracted by the hair thing, thought these weird Americans were pretty cool, so they started copying them. When asked what inspired them to do this, they answered, punk! And eventually, a new musical movement was born. I swear to God I didn't make this up. There are people out there who actually believe this theory. More shocking, I did not know that, facts, right after this. Welcome back to an I did not know that edition of the ongoing history. And like I was saying earlier, even though I've been doing this program for years, I still run across facts and information that shock and surprise me. For example, I had thought that I had heard every variation of the Turing sucks story until I came across this. In February 1999, Garbage was touring through Eastern Europe, part of the world that's hungry for any kind of rock and roll. On February 5th, 1999, after playing a show in Tallinn, Estonia, they tried to cross the border into Russia, where they were scheduled to play a show in the city of St. Petersburg. But Russian customs wouldn't let them in. Why? Because all the band's road cases were prominently labeled garbage. And apparently, Russia has a law against the importation of foreign trash. Yeah, the translator at the Russian border didn't realize that the band's name was garbage. He thought that all these scruffy people were coming to Russia to drop cases and cases of actual garbage on the motherland. What do you take us for? Russian customs said. All these boxes clearly labeled as, as garbage. Well, garbage, the band, was delayed at the border until all this was sorted out. Meanwhile, the show in St. Petersburg scheduled for that night was uh, canceled. If you follow the politics of the Canadian music industry, you'll be familiar with something called the CanCon rules. This is a federal law that requires all radio stations to devote 35% of the music they play to Canadian artists. The concept is to allow Canadian performers to develop and to get airtime in their own country. In Quebec, there's also a language component to this law. Otherwise, the theory goes, we would be swamped by foreign music, especially stuff from across the border to the south. What makes someone Canadian in the eyes of the law and the government and the bureaucracy in Ottawa is another matter, so we will just leave that to another show. You may be surprised to learn that Canada is not alone in erecting cultural protection laws like this. France, for example, has a similar statute which puts Francon at around 60%, as opposed to our 35. Same with Venezuela. Last I heard, for every foreign song a radio station plays, it has to play two Venezuelan records. This kind of thing is also very much an issue in Israel. The Israeli parliament wants all radio stations to devote half their music playing airtime to songs sung in Hebrew. 
The object is to stop the Americanization of Israeli culture, much like we want to stop the Americanization of Canadian culture. So what does HebrewCon, what does Israeli rock sound like? Well, this is a band called T-Pax, or sometimes called Tipex, after a brand of liquid paper type stuff. T-Pax straddles the line between pop, Sephardic, and Ashkenazic music. Here's a track called, well, I don't know, I can't pronounce it. Anyway, it speaks of, of growing in a government-created town in the middle of nowhere. So let's give this a listen. From Israel, this is T-Pax. T-Pax, an Israeli band allowed airplane in Israel under that country's Hebrew Khan music regulations. Over the past couple of years, Moby has set some kind of record for allowing his music for commercial endorsements. Every single song on the Play album, and there are 17 tracks in the CD, have been licensed for use in everything from TV shows and movie soundtracks to TV commercials. This, not surprisingly, has made Moby the target of a multitude of critics who call him a gigantic sellout, someone who has prostituted his art for money. They claim that Moby has never seen a commercial endorsement opportunity that he didn't like. Cars, liqueur... He's allowed his music to shill for, for, for everything. Everything? Well, not quite. Moby eventually discovered a product that he wouldn't endorse. Knorr is a food manufacturer. They wanted to use a song called Find My Baby from Play for a commercial for their new Bernays sauce. But Moby said no. Why? Because Moby is a strict vegetarian. He knows that Bernays sauce is often used on steak. And in Moby's world, steak is a no-no. They wanted to use Find My Baby while this naked guy poured Bernays sauce onto some meat surrounded by naked women, Moby says. I couldn't let them use my music because it would have compromised my veganism. But it was a real shame because I thought it was such a cool idea. Moby, man of principles. Then again, this is a man that once claimed to play a certain game at crowded celebrity parties. Something about unzipping his pants and stealthily touching people. It's a good game, and I encourage everyone to play it at some point in their life because it's one of the funniest things you can ever do, Moby explains. Madonna, Drew Barrymore, Kate Moss, Winona Ryder, and Dennis Rodman were apparently among his victims. But Moby has since disavowed all this, saying that he said this is a joke. But on a related note, if you know where to look, you can find Moby appearing in a weird independent film where he dances with some dildos strapped to his head. Seriously. Back with a few more oddities, surprises, and general exercises in the surreal right after this. We have time for a few more strange facts. This is stuff that I've uncovered over the years, and I just didn't know what to do with. So here we go. True or false, there is a play based on the lyrics of Radiohead. Answer? True. And Radiohead isn't happy about it. Dean Testerman, who's a director and a playwright and a freelance journalist in Los Angeles, created something he called the Untitled Radiohead Project. And during an audition for an unrelated play, the director asked him to deliver a monologue, to which Testerman replied with a recitation of Radiohead's Creep. And that gave him the idea for this play, which was centered on a young man named Tom. Tom was in a car crash, and while he's in a coma, he subconsciously examines his life. And all the dialogue in the Untitled Radiohead Project is taken from Radiohead songs. There's Creep and Let Down and Airbag 
and subterranean homesick alien. It's not like this was a big production or anything. It was scheduled to be performed in a 70-seat theater in Los Angeles. And if it did well, it was going to play similarly sized venues in other cities, including Vancouver and Toronto. Man, fans might think this is a pretty cool concept, right? Well, what problem? Dean Testerman never got permission from anyone to use Radiohead's lyrics. You just can't take someone else's words and use them for something else without asking first. So did Radiohead's copyright lawyers move in? You bet they did. And that's why you've probably never heard of the Untitled Radiohead Project. But I'm a Here is one quick story before I go. In late November 1991, Jerry Cantrell of Alice in Chains went hunting with his brother. And before he left, he promised everyone that he would be back for an important gig on December the 1st. Fine, everyone said. Have a good time. We'll see you at Soundcheck. Uh, one problem. Jerry honestly believed that November has 31 days, and he ended up missing the gig. When he turned up on December the 2nd, which he, of course, thought was December the 1st, he was surprised to find that he had missed the show. And that Christmas, his record label gave Jerry his very own pocket calendar. There's more of these stories where these came from. We will revisit this whole topic in the future. Meanwhile, if you're looking for more cool information, some of it of the completely useless variety, find me at a ajournalofmusicalthings.com. That's the website I update every single day. You should get the daily newsletter, too. I mean, why not? It's free. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And all emails should be directed to alan at edge.ca. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Podcasts.